It's a funny place to be, stuck in a seemingly mundane world with an inner knowing that the universe is so much more than our mortal minds can comprehend. Yet we all have the capacity to know peace and our oneness with the wholeness of life. And through these interviews, discussions, and reflections, it is my intention to share this possibility. I'm Ryan Kurzak, and this is the Kriya Yoga Podcast. Now, I mentioned how 20 years ago, or was it 22 years? 22 years ago, yeah, 22 years ago, uh, as I began practicing this, I had an idea of what my, my insides would look like once I'm enlightened. But as time went on, I began to realize that what I thought it was going to be like isn't really what it's like, okay? And many people here, this is, this is a mistake that many people make. What many people do is they start out with an idea of what they want their spiritual experience to be like in the beginning, and then they cling to it the rest of their life which means they are trying to experience that idea that they had once they first got started. And they don't realize that what the process is doing is removing layers and removing layers of conditioning. So whatever you think it's going to be like in the beginning, it's perfectly okay to have that as a motivating factor. But you have to be open to recognizing that as you go, things are going to change. You're going to see things differently. You're going to pick up either the book I gave you, The Essential Guide to Kriya Yoga Practice, or The Yoga Sutras of the Bhagavad Gita, you're going to read it in the first two or three years, and you're going to think, wow, this is great. This makes perfect sense. And then another few years will go by, and you'll read it again, and you'll think, hmm, this seems a little different than what I got the first time through. And then five more years go by, and you think, wow, have I read this book before? And then time goes on, and every time you pick it up, you, you realize, you recognize another layer of it. It's not that you miss that layer. It's that because of your practice, you, uh, you, you just see more clearly, right? So you want to have an idea of what the experience is like. You can even use the ideas from other people. You, know, you can read about Yogananda, Ramana Maharshi, um, Vivekananda, you can read about all these people and you can use that as a motivating factor, but you yourself have to be willing to accept however it reveals itself to you. I can remember um, being at Center for Spiritual Awareness and uh, reading Autobiography of a Yogi and reading how you know Yogananda was going to just sit until God came to him. And I can remember Mr. Davis talking about how he heard um, Yogananda say one time that you could experience enlightenment and samadhi if you just practice meditation for five, not meditation, mantra meditation for five hours straight. So Roy said, all right. So he was going to sit there for five hours doing mantra all the way through to see what happened. And what he says was he learned very quickly that mm, it doesn't really work that way. Uh, unless you are able to actually, truly do it for five hours straight, meaning be engaged in the process for five hours straight, not sitting there and you're chanting it in your mind and then you drift off. You're still chanting it, but now you're thinking about something else. Oh, wait a minute. Okay. <laughs> Let's come back, chant it some more, and then you realize... 
oh, well, I need to wake up. And then you do it some more. You get the idea. Like, it's like you're there for five hours, sure. So Roy said he learned he could sit for five hours. That's, that's, <laughs> that's what he came up to or came up with. Um, but, you know, Yogananda said these things. And so I decided myself, well, I'm going to sit there and I'm just going to, I'm not going to get up until, until it's revealed to me clearly. I'm going to sit here all night if I have to into the next day. I was in one of the guest rooms. I was sitting there in the chair and I was ready to go. So here I go. <clears throat> I'm sitting there for a while. And then oddly enough, after about an hour and a half of sitting there, it definitely wasn't two hours, it was about an hour and a half. I was sitting there and, and what I was focusing on was I was kind of contemplating. I wasn't necessarily doing a specific technique. I was contemplating. I was contemplating what is it like, you know, what is God? What is it like to experience what is it like to experience this state that the sages and the saints and you know, Yogananda and the teachers of the Kriya tradition, what is it like to experience what they're talking about? And I sat there and an hour and a half went by and I was doing pretty good for an hour and a half. And then I just opened my eyes and I just happened to be looking right out the window and there's a big oak tree and I saw the oak tree and then two little deers walked by, or deer, I guess that's the plural, two deer walked by, and they just kind of looked over at me. And I was like, I was in a room, and there was a hallway in between the room and the window, and it was dark, so I know they really couldn't see me, but they just looked right at me and stared at me. And all of a sudden, there was no fireworks, I did not levitate, <laughs> but I became aware in that moment that what I was experiencing right then and there was God. That was it. It was, the, it was the oak tree. It was me in the chair. It was the deer. And it was perfectly quiet. I can re remember very well this, this sensation. But there wasn't any content to it. You know, there wasn't any, like, story to it. It was... I can remember it so well, but... There wasn't anything to like put my finger on to say this is what enlightenment is like so now i can go tell all my friends you know and from that point forward that stuck with me and whenever i would meditate um i would do my kriya pranayama practices i would do alternate nostril breathing i would go through the routine like i always do <clears throat> but whatever i felt in my body whatever I heard all around me, <clears throat> however I felt in my chair, I acknowledged, I felt that that was this infinite consciousness. And I didn't need anything else. I didn't have to do anything else. And that became enough. And then one day I went and I visited with Mr. Davis and I kept having this experience. I know you've heard me talk about this before. And we're sitting there and he's in his chair and I'm on the couch and we've got tea and we're talking and... Um, you know, when I met with him, usually I just kind of listened to him talk for about an hour and a half. But there was a pause in the discussion. And I looked at him. I said, you know, I kind of feel like this is it. <laughs> and that's all I said. And just sort of looked around and said, I kind of feel like this is it. And he took a sip of his tea and he looked around and he said, yep, pretty much. <laughs> And then he just kept on talking. <laughs> and it's funny because that, that really, 
is the extent of the metaphysical conversations I had with him. <laughs> um, and anyway, the, the reason I'm telling you this is because if you, if you begin with a, an idea of what it's going to be like, acknowledge that that is a wonderful motivator for you. It's just a carrot that you need right now. So that you get up in the morning and you do your meditation and you try your best not to harm people and tell the truth, you know, just to kind of keep you going. But eventually there will come a time where you're able to do that naturally. And then what you have to do is just start to really pay attention to what it's like. Like what is your experience like when you meditate? What is your experience like when you have the sense of communion with something greater? You know, in that book, An Essential Guide to, to Create a Yoga Practice, there, there's a question that someone asked, like, is it, do you have to believe in God to practice this? And I said, no. I don't even really like to use the word God, to be honest with you, because it, it's, uh, it's, it's, it doesn't really work with what we're talking about. But it's the only thing I got. <laughs> so, so I use that word. Um, but you don't, have to, you don't have to believe in God in the sense of how we mostly think of God but you, you do start to recognize this, um, this intelligence or this power or this presence or this being. Even those words are no good. But it's, it's acknowledging that force or field which allows us all to be here. I mean, really, you all are miracles. To be honest, the fact that, you're able, that you've existed this long and you've pretty much kind of looked the same the whole time and all of your cells have held themselves together and you've been able to walk from here to there. I mean, if you just think about how difficult it is for a scientist to program a robot to do something and then you realize like what your body is doing every second and there are 8 billion people on the planet doing that and there are all these critters out there doing that and we don't, we're not making it happen. So there's something going on <laughs> And the whole, the whole purpose and process of spirituality and Kriya Yoga is to not define that, but to recognize that and then to live uh, in harmony with that and to really live in harmony with it. Like to look at it, um, to look at it as it is, meaning, you know, there are good things happening in the world. There are bad things happening in the world. Some people have good health, some people have bad health, some people... You know, there are all these different things going on, and we often tend to say, we often tend to judge things, but even in the difficult situations, there is, there is some kind of miracle happening there. And I don't mean that in the, in the positive, um, you know, like uh, it's a miracle that Santa brought you that for Christmas kind of thing. I mean, the, the miracle that, 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 that this exists in the first place, so death, illness, uh, joy, success, all of that is like, it, it's all tied together. And when you begin to kind of quiet down the mind and the consciousness, and you're able to perceive that or recognize it or appreciate that, then you really actually don't quite mind what happens to you that much. Now, that doesn't mean you still don't try to accomplish your goals and be successful and take a shower every now and then and stuff like that. You still want to do that. But you realize that, that this kind of like cascade of life is, is eternal. 
And the purpose of your practice is to recognize the eternal part of yourself. So your body, you've looked in the mirror lately. You're not as young as you used to be, are you? Okay. <laughs> so things change. But have you ever really noticed that your inner world really hasn't changed that much? And I'm not talking about your personality. Hopefully that has changed. But I'm talking about <laughs> that, that inner part of you that, that is aware of this. It exists all the time. And so when you go into meditation, really what you're doing, remember the scales we were talking about? Well, most people are looking outward. You know, they're looking at uh, the things they've accomplished, the people that they have in their life, their experiences they've collected, as though that is the important thing. All this is going to go away. But there is a part of you which has existed through it all. And when you start to recognize there's a part of you that has existed through it all, you are less troubled by the stuff that comes and go in life. Because, you know, if this life ends, you don't end. You're going to keep going. We don't know where, but we know you're going to keep going. Um, and, and so that's why people who, who have experienced what you might want to call an enlightened state, they seem so free because they're not bogged down by all the stuff that in the end isn't going to be there anyway. And they know once this is gone, they're going to persist and maybe they'll take up another body. Maybe they'll have other relationships. Maybe they'll experience new things or maybe they won't, but they're going to know that they still exist. And that is the important thing. Do you understand what I'm trying to say here? It's, it's, it's a hard thing to grasp, but if you can spend some time contemplating the fact that it truly is your inner state that is eternal, and you start defining yourself by your inner state, then it doesn't matter if your body hurts. Then it doesn't matter if some of your relationships don't work out. Then it doesn't matter if you're the most successful person in the world you are established in this sense of wholeness and this sense of eternity. Chapter 2 of the Yoga Sutras, um, Ishvara Pranidhana, uh, it's often translated as surrender in God. Again, you know, we can use that term as best we can, but the idea of Ishvara is this infinite force, this infinite field. And as you go, as you become more skillful in meditation, what seems to happen is you move from you thinking that you're doing something, like pulling the Kriya current up and down the spine, or chanting through the chakras, or working out truthfulness and these types of things. You move from that to almost again feeling the inverse as though you aren't doing things, but as though the universe is doing stuff through you. It's like the way I feel it. It's as if there's this body, but then like behind me is this whole infinite field that is just pouring into the physical form. Almost as if this is a black hole and all the light is just pouring through it and kind of creating that field, whatever the black hole creates. It's like it's pouring forth and it's, it's kind of renewing and refreshing this experience again and again, but there's a realization that it's this is a representation of that. So it's not like I'm trying to get to that. It's I'm realizing that that is flowing through. You, you understand?
So when we're meditating, that's why I like to encourage you to, from time to time, stop and be aware of what you hear around you. Um, to be aware of what you feel. And you can also be aware of the thoughts and the emotions because those, it's the same thing. It's, it's just a manifestation of this, this kind of universal flow. And this is how I think of Ishvara Pranidhana. So it's not that I am surrendered in God like the, the meek little slave who's being pushed around by the overlord saying, you know, do this and do that. It's as though my identity is not caught up in this uh, mask and it's more aware of uh, the creative force that's animating the body and the mind and so on. So in a way, I want to encourage you to think of this idea of Ishvara Pranidhana, surrendering God, more as though you're realizing that you are uh, a culmination of the whole of the universe. And if you can kind of cultivate that experience, you will tend to relate better to the world because you will also tend to feel more connected to the world. Now, I'm jumping way ahead here. And I, I'm doing that because, you know, you've had a year, two years or more <clears throat> of uh, already learning this and, and, and contemplating these things. But in order to realize those things, you have to go through the process, which is Kriya Yoga. And that process is regular meditation to a stage of superconsciousness. That process is cultivating harmlessness, truthfulness, contentment, and so on. The yamas and niyamas, the 26 qualities of the Bhagavad Gita, again, they're all in that book that you got uh, this week or yesterday. It feels like we've been here forever already, doesn't it? <laughs> we've got a long week ahead of us. Um, <clears throat> but what those things do, and this is the way I described it in the book, those things are puzzle pieces. And um, when we think of an enlightened person, it's as, though, it's as though that enlightened person has the puzzle all put together and they can see the cosmos of the puzzle and it's beautiful and they can see how, how it all fits. They can see how the light and the shade and the, the dark and the sunlight and so on, how it all makes a beautiful tapestry. They can see all that. But those of us who can't quite see that, it's like the puzzle is broken up and it's scattered everywhere. You just took it out of the box and dumped it. You've got the box there and you can look at it and you say, well, that's what it's supposed to look like. But you look at the puzzle and you think, that's not what it looks like at all. And the process of practicing these qualities, fearlessness, homelessness, and on and on, each of those are a puzzle piece. And what we're doing by cultivating them, if you don't know how to do it, you are finding that puzzle piece, right? Many of you know that my house was destroyed a few years ago, right? It got demolished. Uh, I just moved back to West Virginia and uh, got my nice river ashram ready to go. Roy said, looks great, Ryan. You know, you've got your ashram and you definitely have a good time with it. A few months later, oh, my ashram's in the river and I can't live there anymore. So what did I learn in that moment? I learned homelessness. And it's funny because many, many years, I'm a homebody. I don't like traveling. I mean, you're lucky you got me here. But... Um, <clears throat> 
I like staying at home. I don't, I don't really like going anywhere. Um, and I was always very identified with my home. And so then this situation happens. And now I'm waking up in the middle of the night and I got to go to the bathroom. I'm like, okay, where's the bathroom? Why? Because I'm either at Jasmine's house or I'm at my parents' house or I'm at CSA or I'm at another friend's house because I don't have anywhere to go, right? So I'm like, where's the bathroom? So in, the, in those moments where I'd wake up in the middle of the night, I realized, okay, I don't have, I don't need to be dependent on any place. I need to remember where the bathroom is, but I don't need to be dependent on any place that I personally call home. And I realized that home was wherever I was, right? So in the 26 qualities that lead to a divine destiny in the Bhagavad Gita, one of those qualities is homelessness. And that's because it's encouraging you to recognize that you don't need to be attached to anywhere, any place, or anything, because you are always where you need to be. And if you have that mentality of homelessness, well, let's imagine that you're, you feel your home is your body. Oh, something happens, heart attack, I'm dead. All right, well, now you're pretty upset because that was your home, okay? But you've got homelessness on your side now. So there you are, floating around in space. Okay, now where? So you see all these things contribute to a way of being so that you can be all right wherever you are. The quality of, of non-attachment, that is one of the most profound, important qualities. It's probably, along with fearlessness and truthfulness, one of the top three. Because the reason you don't experience enlightenment or clear states of consciousness or positive changes in your life most of the time is because you are attached to qualities and circumstances that keep you experiencing again and again, the same thing you keep experiencing again and again and again. You know, you have a bad relationship with a friend. The friend keeps acting the same way over and over again, but you want it to be different. How are you going to change it? Get a new friend. Because more than likely, you can't go talk to that person and say, you know what, I'd really like to improve this relationship, and why don't you do these three things? <laughs> you, you know, you should try it. See how it works. <laughs> um, and again, I'm not saying to get rid of all of your friends, but you do have to recognize that there are, I like to look at like there are frequencies of experience. And there are people that are just caught up in their moods all the time and they don't want to get beyond them. They just want to stay caught up in the same old thing, complaining about the same old thing. They'll come up with something new tomorrow, but it's the same kind of energy. And you can stay engaged in that or you can decide, I don't want to do that anymore. And what you can try to do is change yourself and maybe they'll catch on. Maybe. And sometimes they do. Every now and then you find one or two people that say, you know what, this guy doesn't want to hang, around with, hang out with me anymore. Um, but I like him, and I think I kind of want to hang, out, hang around him, so maybe I'll try to change a little bit. And they, they kind of come with you. Sometimes that happens. But most of the time people are so caught up in the mess that they're in that they don't want to change. You aren't uh, included in what I'm about to say, but there are many people that kind of criticize the fact that I don't try to create a community of people. You know, I don't have a Facebook page for Kriya Yoga Online. I don't have like a Google chat group or something like that. I do that very specifically because I don't want you all hanging out together. <laughs> I want you all doing your own thing, living your life, figuring this stuff out on your own, not hanging around saying, what do you think Ryan meant when he said that? You know, did, did you notice this thing? You know, I, I, don't want, I don't want you getting into all that stuff because it's just a waste, it's an absolute waste of time. 
in, again, in the book, uh, someone asked me a question about um, uh, having a spiritual relationship, how they're looking for a spiritual relationship or, or their partner wasn't spiritual enough or something like that. I'll have to go back and reread it. Um, and what I have found is it absolutely doesn't matter whether your partner or your friends follow the same spiritual path as you as long as they are just simply good, supportive people. That's all you need. Good, supportive people who allow you to go do whatever you need to do. You let them do what they need to do. It's great. You're going to waste a lot of time trying to find people who resonate with you, spiritually speaking, even amongst this group. If you all decide to be all buddy-buddy and hang out and start a Facebook group without my knowledge, you, you, would, <laughs> you, you, you would get to know each other and you would say things like, wow, what does Ryan see in them? <laughs> They don't seem, they they think some weird stuff. You know, then you would start thinking this way because you are all very different people and you all have a very different experience and there's nothing wrong with your experience, but you're all processing things differently. So as long as you're able to find relationships that are supportive of you and you can be supportive towards them and you give room uh, for each other to grow, you're going to be all right. That's the main thing. Um, So... You want to be comfortable changing yourself so that you can experience higher states of consciousness. And again, going back to the idea of the the qualities and the puzzle pieces. Some people have real difficulty with truth, meaning they can't speak it very well, nor can they take it very well. And that can be a problem. I have quite a few friends that I am able to be as uncensored as I can be completely uncensored. I can say whatever is on my mind. And sometimes I can be kind of (laughs) something. (laughs) But I know they're my friends because I can do that and they never bat an eye. They just take it and they roll with it. And we are able to maintain our friendships. And they can, I, I welcome criticism from them too sometimes because I want to know if there's an issue. But there are some people that I can say the most benign, I can send an email that, you know, it would just be like, hey, how's your day going? Next thing I know, I get like three pages of this aggression about whatever. I'm thinking, I just asked how your day is going. What's, you know, what's going on? And, and you just kind of start to recognize, hmm, Maybe I need to be a little more uh, in tune with uh, who I give my attention to. And it's not that you are rejecting people. It's that you are simply choosing the state of consciousness you want to exist at. Does this make sense? I, I observe this with Mr. Davis all the time. When I would go out spend time with Mr. Davis, I was just going to be around him. Sometimes I had a question, but not very often. I just really enjoyed spending time with him. However, other people would show up and they would just grill him, like one thing after the other. They'd have this doubt, they'd have that doubt, or they'd criticize this, or they'd criticize that aspect of Yogananda. It was just really odd. And um, for some odd reason, he spent a good deal of time with me. (laughs) I don't know, maybe I'm just a sweet guy. I don't think that's the case. But... um, these other people, he'd, he'd, he might talk to them with a minute or so, and then he'd just say, well, all right, well, we'll see you later. And he'd walk away. He would not engage in things that were, 
he would not engage in conversations that he would call frivolous because time is short and we are here for a very specific reason and if you can accept if you can accept that it is okay to choose your states of consciousness you will be able to wake up much more quickly because you won't be weighed down by all the needs and all the psychological complexes and all the neuroses of most people everyone has their path everyone has their healing process and we all are a little crazy you know yogananda used to say well he would say that same thing he would say uh, we're all a little crazy uh, the trouble is um, we tend to hang out with the people that are crazy just like we are so we don't really notice it that much <laughs> okay so we're not we're not criticizing people with psychological complexes or neuroses because we all have a little bit of that but we want to choose we want to choose what we want to experience in life and that that goes with um, the environment that we surround ourselves with as much as we can that goes with the people that we spend time with um, but it also goes to uh, what we entertain up here in our heads and that's probably the most important thing of all uh, Roy would often say that um, to be uh, to be a yogi or a swami by the way the word swami means master like maestro you know like a master of music um, well swami means master not like master and slave but like a master of your states of consciousness so to be a swami you have to be a master of your states of consciousness and yogis ideally are masters of their states of consciousness this episode of the kriya yoga podcast was made possible by donations from kriya yoga apprenticeship students and supporters of our patreon community at www.patreon.com forward slash kriya yoga